Hello, welcome to Kinks and Beatles Daily Deep Dive. I am your host, Tony Fry. This is episode 225, where we are talking today about Blue Jay Way by the Beatles. I want to welcome you all um, to the live broadcast if you're here live and encourage you all to chat with me um, in the chat. Today we're on YouTube trying this one out because the last couple of days we've had some glitchy issues with the Facebook Live. So we're going to try it here on YouTube. It's still obviously going to be archived here afterwards if you're not watching it live. It'll also be posted on the Facebook page if that's where you're used to watching it. And of course, next week it'll be on the audio feed of the podcast. And then I also wanted to um, let you all know that we do have a live event coming on um, Facebook Live at the end of March where we're going to talk about the album covers of our two favorite bands and their solo projects. So um, that is a premium event. Uh, cost a buck to get in if you can't make it that day um, and you still want to watch it you can pay the dollar and you'll get access to the video as the archive so you don't you won't miss anything um, if you can't make it live you just won't be able to participate so there's that so go swing by the um, hero habit.com or facebook.com slash hero habit and you can find the that in our events page let's move on to the business at hand though we are at Blue Jay Way by the Beatles, which was released November 27, 1967 on the American Magical Mystery Tour LP and December 8, 1967 on the UK Magical Mystery Tour double EP. The song was written by George Harrison. I've actually been looking forward to covering this song for quite a while because it's a weird song. Um, it has to be among their least known songs, despite appearing in one of their films. Um, but it's actually a really cool track. And we're going to talk about a lot of that tonight. Uh, if you have any questions at all regarding this track as we're going, please hit me up in the chat. I'd love to chat with you all tonight. Um, George wrote this song while visiting Los Angeles a few months earlier. So he wrote it, I believe, August 67. And while there, he was staying in a house on Blue Jay Way and was waiting for Derek Taylor to arrive, who we all know is the in the inner circle of um, the Beatles. And Derek is running late because of a dense fog and uh, navigating the Hollywood Hills in a dense fog is not easy nor is it fun times had by all so um, George is getting tired from jet lag he's waiting for Derek to arrive and he writes a song about it and so the lyrics of this song offer absolutely no imagery or double meaning you, it, take them strictly at face value. It's literally about a man waiting for some folks to arrive and trying to stay awake. That's it. Uh, where the imagery really takes hold is in the arrangement. There aren't many songs I can think of in the Beatles catalog that set a mood and a feeling as well as Blue Jay Way. With their use of uh, the organ and the cello and reverse tapes and vocal flanging and uh, all sorts of effects... They somehow managed to create fog in audio form. And it's a pretty brilliant arrangement. Whatever you think of the song as a composition, the arrangement is pretty brilliant because it perfectly suits the subject of the lyrics. And that's tough to do. Um, I say the same thing about I'm Only Sleeping from the White Album, where they really feel... I'm not, not, I'm only sleeping. I'm so tired from the White Album, where they really feel tired. John's vocal delivery is tired. The instrumentation is 
almost behind the beat and lazy. This is uh, another example. Blue Jay Way perfectly, perfectly matches tone of song to the lyrics. Recording for the track began September 6, 1967, on the same night they worked on I'm the Walrus and the, and the demo for Fool on the Hill. One take was recorded of Blue Jay Way, which included the basic rhythm track. So they did one take, and that's the basic rhythm track, including the organ, that you hear on the finished product. The following night, September 7th, George added lead vocals, and he actually does a fair amount of his own backing vocals, though John and Paul do pop up from here and there. All those vocals were done the next night. And the cool thing about the vocals, and part of what makes it sound foggy, like I said, is the use of ADT, or artificial double tracking. And what this does is it takes the original signal uh, coming through the microphone, loops it back into the tape machine with a slight delay. We're talking milliseconds. And this gives the illusion of a second vocal being recorded. But since it's the same source as the original vocal, the every inflection, uh, every phrasing uh, choice is exactly the same. You're not going to run into, you know, um, on take one, George decided to put this note right on the downbeat and on take two you know he waited half a beat to do it these are exactly the same signal um so not only does it cut your vocal recording time in half but it offers a very um uh stable vocal track and then the wider you make the delay the more separation there is between the source vocal and the loop back vocal um, the Beatles pretty much invented this technique um, and, and invented the, the way to do it, um, but it has been used ever since. There's not a band on the planet, I don't think, that's not done artificial double tracking. And um, a lot of times you'll hear it where guys will do or bands will do uh, an acoustic guitar part. And then they'll do an ADT and they'll split them. Right, So you'll have one guitar all the way in the left, one guitar hard right, and it's the same guitar signal, but because of that slight delay, um, it feels like two guitars, and it gives you the full span of the stereo spectrum. So you, in a way, by adding that extra track, and you can use the stereo, you can actually, by adding, give yourself more space because you can utilize more of the stereo spectrum. That's not really what they were doing here. Right here, it was just a, a cool vocal effect. But nowadays, it's used to kind of spread out the sound a little bit. Um, on October 6th, 1967, so we're talking about a month later, uh, the cello and some tambourine were added to take three of the song. So basically, this is all done in a single take because um, take one featured the rhythm track. That was bounced. And then take two were the vocals so even though those vocals are added onto take one it, it's counted as take two and then take three was everything else so even though it's take three it's not as if there are multiple versions of this song like there are um, on other songs this is all first take it's, i mean it's, it's it's as fresh as you can get really Seems that there were a few mixes done for this song, and Mark Lewison writes that mixing was problematic, but he doesn't go into greater detail. I do have my suspicions um, about what the problematicness of 
what is that a word problematicness i just made up a word y'all um i have my suspicions and it has to do with something we're going to look at a little bit deeper later um at one point the band actually considered releasing the stereo mix as the mono mix uh, which is odd because to that point they had always done two separate mixes okay they had done a, a mono mix and then they put that away and they started from scratch and did a stereo mix and usually to that point also the mono mix was the one the Beatles were more interested in because stereo um, gained popularity in the States way faster than it gained popularity in the UK. So they put a lot more effort into the mono mix than they did the stereo mix um, at this point. Eventually, it became the standard and they, and they focused on the stereo. So what this would have done, um, instead of being a separate mono mix, they would have just taken the stereo mix and reduced it to mono which isn't exactly the same. Um, but it didn't end up happening that way, and a proper mono mix was finished. Uh, the stereo mix on this is horrible. This is one, I've talked about it a couple times already. I hope they do a 1967 box of the leftovers, the singles, Magical Mystery Tour, things like that, the same way they did Sgt. Pepper. I don't think they can do a Magical Mystery box um, because they put Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane on the Sgt. Pepper box. But they could do a box that had um, the rest of Magical Mystery Tour, the singles, uh, the songs from Yellow Submarine. All that could be like one little like leftovers box. But I hope they do it because this song desperately needs a remix. Not that there's probably much they can do since there weren't that many takes done. Now one cool aspect of this song that I'm not sure everyone is aware of is that when you're listening to it, you're actually listening to it twice. Because throughout the entire song, it's being played backwards. They basically took two tapes, flipped one of them over, and attached it to uh, the end to the beginning of the other. And that was that. Anytime there is a fade up of weird backwards music, it's actually the same song. So if they fade up one minute from the beginning... right At the one minute mark, if they fade up, you're actually hearing the part that's being faded up is the backwards tape from one minute from the end. Okay? I've compiled a few clips. This is going to be a first for the for the Daily Deep Dive. I'm actually going to play some of their music. This is for educational purposes. Um, it's a very short clip, so hopefully we don't get flagged. But I'm going to play uh, uh, snippets from the song backwards. And this is just to show that those sounds aren't tape loops or edits like they would have done like in Tomorrow Never Knows. Um, they're just simple fade-ins and fade-outs. They're playing two tapes at once, and then when they want to fill in gaps in the vocals or um, add a little bit of depth, they will bring up the fader, and it is playing the original song backwards. And this is something they did in the final mix because you can hear the cello on it so which was the last thing to be recorded so this wasn't something that they baked into the uh, uh, other mixes this was done as the final step had to have been because otherwise there wouldn't have been the cello on there so we're going to listen to this um, there are some clips I tried to pick out the element or the moments of the song that highlighted these elements the best where you can actually hear 
the music a little bit stronger. So anything that you hear forward in these in this sound sample is what you would normally hear backwards. All right, I'm giving myself a headache trying to explain this, so let's just listen. So I hope you heard it. If uh, if it was tough to hear, I suggest going through and uh, listening to it on headphones. This, I believe, when I did the edit and the reversing, I think it actually downmixed it to mono, um, which might make the sound quality suffer. Some of this stuff should be a little higher in the mix. Uh, but you get the idea. And like I said, anything you heard moving forward is those fade-ups that you hear throughout the song. As for the harmony of this song and what adds to the spookiness and the fogginess, um, according to the Wikipedia page, whatever that's worth, some folks think that this is written in C. Lydian mode. And C. Lydian is almost exactly the same as C major, uh, except that the F is sharp. Okay. Whoops. So here's the C major scale. Here's a C Lydian. Alright, so you had that you had that F sharp there. Um, and what this does is like it makes your two chord major instead of minor. It makes your four chord diminished instead of major. Um, it changes your five or your seven chord. So it makes a lot of adjustments to the tonality of the song. I happen to disagree with this uh, analysis, though, and anybody listening or watching who can make a case for calling this Lydian should get in touch with me because I, I just don't see it. Um, there are moments when George utilizes the Lydian mode, but pretty much the only place is on I may be asleep. Okay, when he hits the word sleep, he's hitting the F sharp. So he's going, uh, uh, I may be asleep. That F sharp sleep. That's that's Lydian. Um, and and he's actually just singing a descending mode from eight to three, the octave. All he's missing is the D and the C. So he's just descending down the Lydian um, C Lydian mode. But that's the only instance that suggests Lydian. There are some G flats throughout the song, which is, of course, the same note. This is G flat. This is F sharp. They're the same notes uh, when you play them. Music theory-wise, though, there's a reason we're, we're giving them the distinction of G flat. Um, and those notes are always accompanied with E flats, which is not part of the list. So even if you looked at it as F sharp, you still got to account for that E flat, which is not in the Lydian mode. Um, it just makes it a diminished chord. 
or flat five chord, depending on where it appears. So I'm going to say this song is atonal, uh, and it just sits on a C drone. There's not a single chord in this song that is not a C chord. It's C major, C diminished, C flat five, C six, C major seven, and C major nine. That's it. Um, and that's every chord in the song. Not a single one of those chords would indicate Lydian mode. Um, you can make the argument for the C flat five because it's a G flat slash F sharp. Um, but that's it, really. Again, if you feel qualified to speak on this, please do. I'm not looking for a fight or anything. Um, just try to change my mind respectfully because this is something that I see a lot in Beatles analysis, but I just uh, I just disagree. Uh, a couple things to point out. I love Ringo's drumming on this track, but the mix is tough to enjoy on headphones since the drums are hard panned to the left. And George Martin's cello arrangement is amazing. When you combine what Ringo is doing with what the cello is doing, this song actually grooves and rocks pretty hard. It would be cool, uh, and I'm sure somebody on YouTube has done it or can do it, to have isolated just the drums and cello. I mean, it's really a cool little rock song going on there. Um, and another thing, if you listen to it, it has shades of early ELO. And Jeff Lynn, who's the main guy behind ELO, um, often credits I'm the Walrus for the sound of ELO. He wanted to pick up where I'm the Walrus left off. But I think this song actually sounds more fitting for one of their first couple albums than Walrus does. Because it's very stripped back. It's very um, uh, raw sound with that just aggressive cello. It's cool stuff. I have a, um, uh, a, want to point out a little lick that Paul does on the bass, which is cool. Because for the most part on this track, he's just playing quarter note Cs. But when George sings the last please don't be long... Um, Paul doubles it on the bass. He doubles the vocal. And it's a cool breakup of the drone, right? He's just been playing that C for two minutes. So it's a cool breakup of that drone. But it also highlights the fact that this line is written over quarter note triplets, which really it wants to pull away from the straight four the song has established. So not only are we pulling away harmonically um, by abandoning that drone for a few notes, but we're also pulling away rhythmically because the song, if we're going one, two, three, four, those quarter note triplets are triple, let, triple, da, 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 da. So it feels like a pull off of that rhythm. So it's a cool little element in both respects because we're kind of relieving the ear of the drone and the constant four. A lot of this um, comes down to the Indian influence that came into George's music, obviously, with the Indian songs that he wrote, you know, Love You Too, Within You, Without You. Um, but it stayed with him forever. Even if he never picked up the sitar again, the elements of Indian music with the timing, the um, the chords, the drones, all that stuck for the rest of his, his writing. And this song is a good example of how that influence carried over into his just more traditional pop, you know, Western uh, writing. I think this is one of George's most basic rhythms, so those triplets in the chorus really add the tension to the song, too. 
And then when you couple it with the fact that he's playing it over these diminished chords or whatever, it's 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 good for the tension. Um, I actually surprised myself with how much I can talk about this track. I feel like there's more I could cover, but we've been going on for a bit now and uh, definitely longer than the song goes on. It's obviously they weren't trying to make this song a hit single. Nothing about this screams pop single. But they also weren't throwing it away for the movie just to fill in time because they devoted a lot of effects and thought and for and an orchestration and all that kind of stuff. But they also didn't spend much time on it. Not the normal amount of time that was spent on a Beatles song, typically. I mean, this is basically, for all intents and purposes, uh, a one-take song. Right, the bulk of the material was done on that first take. Um, it's a strange tune, in every respect. Probably because it's so weird. It's actually one of my favorites from the first side of Magical Mystery Tour. I don't think I ever skipped this song. I don't skip a lot of George songs, in fact, but this is definitely one. Um, I don't. I don't skip. So I don't see anybody in the live chat right now. I kind of threw this up last minute. Um, that we'll be trying it on YouTube, but we haven't had any technical difficulties yet today, so this might be the way we go from now on. If you want to get a hold of me, go ahead and call 925-494-1739 or email me at kinksandbeats at herohabit.com. And of course, you can go to herohabit.com anytime. At the top of the page, there's a podcast button that gives you all the information you need to know about this podcast, the video feeds, all that kind of stuff. Everything is there, how to get a hold of me. And then, of course, you can comment here or on Reddit or Instagram or anywhere that you take in Hero Habit stuff. All right. Thank you so much for listening and watching, and uh, I hope you have a great day. Stay safe out there, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.